Hi guys, I'm happy to announce that I've just launched my new app called Say Hello. It's a speech sound practice app designed for parents of children who are receiving speech therapy for articulation and intelligibility impairments. Think of this app as a quick and engaging way for parents to complete speech homework without the fuss of those practice packets that we photocopy and they just are never seen again. It makes practice sessions easy and accessible while also helping parents to be natural coaches and know exactly how to cue their child to make their speech sounds correctly. So we all know that children who practice their speech sounds daily are more likely to make progress. This means the more they practice with the child, the less time will be spent in speech therapy and more confidence for their child. Say Hello provides parents with quick guided practice sessions that they can do anywhere. Working in conjunction with their speech therapist, they pick the sound the child needs to work on and follow the provided prompts. Parents select the time that works best for them to receive notifications, and they can complete a practice session in three to five minutes. So we offer a free seven-day trial, and after that, it's just $4.95 a month. Check it out wherever you get your apps. You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geiser. This month, we're reading Age of Opportunity by Dr. Lawrence Steinberg. Let's get into it. Hi, Laura. Hi, Adrian. Welcome back, everybody, to the SLP Book Club. Today, we are going to be discussing Chapter 2 from the Age of Opportunity. The chapter is titled The Plastic Brain. But before we get into that, let's do something a little more light because... Ooh, this chapter, um, you know, it's a little heavy on the science, the neuroscience. So <laughs> let's talk about some other things first. Yes. <laughs> okay, we're going to play Show Me You Know Me. Can I go first, Laura? Do you mind? Go ahead. I feel, I think I'm just excited about this. <laughs> okay. If there was a zombie apocalypse, mm. your first move would be to A, panic, hide in the attic. B, siphon a ton of gasoline, hoard supplies, and loot. Oh, wow, looting. C, <laughs> go to Walmart and hook myself up with guns and barricade my house. D, go on the offensive and start killing zombies and perhaps even people I don't like as if they were zombies. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Who wrote these questions? <laughs> okay, wait, I have to guess about you. Okay. okay. I think you're going to go see get the guns barricade yourself you're not out on the offensive like killing people but you are like standing your ground at your own residence okay this is honestly a hard one for me to answer the truth the honest truth is probably a i would just be like oh my god this is so scary (laughs) it's over (laughs) especially if i was alone if i was with other people i feel like we could come to a group consensus maybe there's some like people who are braver than me. But I've always said I would go to Costco. Oh, interesting. And Costco would be like the best place to go because they have so much stuff there. But you would go and take it over. I don't know. Like, could I defend Costco? Like, no. It's too big. It's too big. And that's why I also would want to go with B, hoard supplies and just like cross my fingers, hope that this gets worked out. But okay. So can I guess about you? Yeah. Okay. I think you would be B. Yeah. Siphon the gasoline, hoard supplies. Yep. But looting, I mean, we're not looting. 
I mean, listen, I'm very opposed to looting that happens, like (laughs) looting during the LA riots, that type of stuff. Terrible, like businesses, but zombie apocalypse. Right. These businesses are not coming back from that ever, you know. Like this is your opportunity to get a Celine bag. (laughs) Take advantage. (laughs) (laughs) That is not what I was thinking about, but sure. (laughs) It's never coming back. These luxury brands, they're done. Okay. Okay. Are you ready for this one? Yeah. Adrian, yep. if I could sacrifice one body part to see my favorite sports team win a championship, I would choose a finger, a toe, my appendix, or nothing is worth losing a body part over. Okay. And remember, I did say I would get punched twice in the face for $10,000. <laughs> um, I'm stuck between toe and appendix. <laughs> But the surgeries are different. <laughs> so I'm like, would you want to go for something as invasive as an mm-hmm. appendectomy? Is that right? Versus like an amputation? Like, ooh. So I don't know. I'm going to go with toe. <laughs> it is appendix. Appendix. An appendectomy. You can still play football if you have that. But without a toe, things get a little tricky. Wow. Balance. Walking. Okay, yeah. even the pinky toe. Yeah, no, okay. no. I think I need my pinky. I do think I want the pinky. So appendix, no need for it. You okay, know? appendix. They come out every day. People are getting them out left and right. So. Yeah. Okay, all right. I'm going to assume that you would not lose a finger or anything for anyone any team like what's the equivalent like seeing the favorite band like you never thought you'd ever be able to see like oh now you're gonna see it live like maybe that's the equivalent well I feel like it has to be something with a competition I mean like things that you like are like you know wrestling but do you feel that passionately about one particular wrestler like you want them to win well I used to be okay passionate about wrestling so I don't know yeah there's no real equivalent yeah so I don't know. I guess just D for me by default. Okay. Yeah. Default. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay. We've kind of done this one before, Laura. Honestly, we've talked about this ish, talked ish about this, but I still like it. I still think it's fun. Mm -hmm. If I could be reborn in any era, I'd pick the A Roman era, seeing the Colosseum in use, B Renaissance era. For the art and culture. C. 60s sex, drugs, and rock and roll. D. 1800s Wild West and horseback. Okay. I am between two, but I think I've got to go with Renaissance. I mean, you are. I've never met someone who loves the Renaissance Fair as much as you. (laughs) Maybe the 60s? I don't know. Again, some factors are coming into play for me. One. Oh, hygiene. 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 (laughs) Not only hygiene, but also like access to like medicine. (laughs) And this is how I take the fun out of things. (laughs) So practical. Let's get get real. (laughs) Let's get real about this time travel. Uh Okay. So obviously the Renaissance era is great, but you can just go to the Renaissance fair and it's like kind of the same. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it's incredibly authentic. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can even meet Shakespeare there. Oh, so, you know. If you lived in that yeah. time, what are yeah. your chances of even meeting Shakespeare? The bard. Maybe he's around. I don't know. You can. Right here. <laughs> okay. 1800s, I also have a fascination with because I love the fashion. Mm-hmm. But it's a little rough and tumble for me. Jobs for women. I mean. Yeah, not much out there. 
<laughs> so I'm gonna have to go with see the sixties. All right, see, seems fun. You know, you go to the concerts. Like, yeah, could kind of be like, um, what's that movie? Almost famous. Almost famous. Even though it's kind of the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For you, I'm gonna guess. Can I guess? Yeah. The sixties. Of course. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so fun. Okay. If I had the option of being one of the first hundred people to live on a new planet, but I would not be able to return to Earth, I would A, go for the glory and legacy and become part of history. B, go to have complete freedom and help build a new social structure. C, go simply to experience new frontiers and adventures. Or D, choose not to go. D, choose not to go. Yeah, (laughs) you got it. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh no what do you know how much stuff is gonna go wrong i'm like legacy legacy imagine you like what if your legacy was like whoops i opened the wrong hatch got sucked out into space like some like ding dong mistake have you seen the movie passengers is it a comedy or drama drama oh where they're flying to the new planet no oh my gosh it is one of our favorite movies. You've got to see it. Really? Got to see I it. To it is so it. good. We watch it over and over and over in my house. It is amazing. Yeah. So I'm not okay. going to ruin that movie for you talking about Don't what happens on the way to the planet. Okay. I love to watch it. I'm like, Now I'm excited. Well, you already know my answer. You're not going to go either. Yeah. Like there's no way you're going to a new planet. We're staying home. We're doing the podcast. <laughs> No. <laughs> hey, Who needs a who's speech gonna do the podcast? No one. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about us. Stay tuned as we discuss chapter two from Age of Opportunity. Have you checked out Laura's speech materials yet on Teachers Pay Teachers or Boom Learning under Laura G S L P? I am such a huge fan and I'm here to sing her praises. <laughs> Since I'm a teletherapist, I use boom cards almost exclusively during my sessions. As with all things in speech, sometimes the most unexpected materials are a hit with the kiddos. My students love Laura's What Did You Find activities that feature a fun flashlight to look for different items. And her lid comb handouts for parents on TPT are also amazing. And I love to use them with private clients. She also has some great game type reinforcers like the picture reveal activities and a Connect Four donut game that I've been playing on repeat with one student for months. (laughs) The best part is that I can use almost all of her materials with a range of kids who have different levels of needs. This helps you get the most bang for your buck. Her materials are well thought out, evidence-based, and fun and engaging for the kids. We can't all be creative geniuses, so we might as well support and benefit from those who are. Thanks for sharing your genius with us, Laura. Go check them out today at Laura G SLP on Boom Learning and TPT. I want to tell you about Tiny Talkers group curriculum. If you're an SLP looking for more work-life balance and a fresh way to do things in your private practice, then the Tiny Talkers group curriculum might be just what you're looking for. Tiny Talkers groups are set up as a way to provide accessible speech and language support to young children in a small group setting. Our friend Megan Samuels, creator of Tiny Talkers, has done all the planning for you. When you sign up for the curriculum, you get a full 36-week program divided into summer, fall, winter, and spring semesters. The plans are easy to implement and adjust as needed to meet the needs of your clients. They include material checklists and parent handouts for each session. And the best part is, 
Megan designed each week so that all the materials you'll need can fit into one sensory bin. So once you get your group set up, you're done. In the years that follow, you'll pull out that bin and go. No planning, no stress, just fun. If you want to learn more about Tiny Talkers, go to tinytalkersgroupcurriculum.com to check it out. Make sure to use our code BOOKCLUB10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. We love Tiny Talkers Group Curriculum, and we know you'll love it too. So in Chapter 2 of Age of Opportunity, Dr. Steinberg begins the chapter by explaining that most people recall adolescence more clearly than any other stage of life. So we have to ask ourselves, why do people remember their teens and early 20s better than their 30s or 40s? And this is called the adolescent reminiscence bump. So it's not really due to like better memory during those years. They think it's probably just has to do with the events that are taking place during that time. And scientists hypothesize that we remember adolescence more because we're doing a lot of things for the first time in those years. So Things like having your first kiss or first time driving a car or first job. And another hypothesis is that the events during this time are more emotionally intense, which makes us remember them more clearly. A third hypothesis is that adolescence is when people are developing their sense of identity. And so those events are incorporated into their important memories because they're tied to their sense of self. There was a study done to test these hypotheses where researchers had people look at a list of basic words like car or storm, and then they would write down a memory that was associated with each word. Then they went through and wrote the age that they were when that memory happened. And unsurprisingly, many of these memories were from adolescence, but a lot of them were about totally mundane things, so not necessarily something emotional or momentous. There's just some reason that we remember things in detail from this time in life specifically. It turns out that the adolescent brain has a specific chemical makeup that allows it to encode memories more deeply. So it's because ordinary events lead to stronger emotions instead of more emotional events taking place at that time. So we will get into the chemistry part in a little bit, but I thought that was pretty interesting. The brain during adolescence is very sensitive to its environment, which leads to encoding those experiences more deeply and greater detail and more solidly. The brain is really susceptible when a person is two years old or younger, which a lot of us know. So that's that kind of like early just born time period. So many systems are developing at that time and it can be really hard to reverse any damage that's done like extreme neglect or brain damage during the first two years of life. And adolescence is similar to that time period because of the brain's reorganization and plasticity. So we should be rethinking how much importance we put on the first couple of years of life, considering the brain is just as plastic during adolescence. And while there are similar in their degrees of plasticity during those times, different areas of the brain are plastic depending on if a person is very young or in adolescence. So even though we think of things that are hard and stiff when we think of the word plastic, in this context, plastic also means something that can be molded. So when we talk about the brain being plastic or plasticity, it's how our experiences with the outside world kind of get into us and change us. And our brains change in response to the experiences that we have and the memories that are formed. 
Times of plasticity are good opportunities to learn new information, but it's also a time of great risk because the brain is more vulnerable to damage at this time. So we need to be paying extra attention to what's entering the brain during these periods of plasticity because whether it's good or bad, it is all going to have the similar amount of effect. And it can be helpful to think about how the brain is changing during plasticity and the process of pruning, which is when certain connections in the brain are eliminated due to not being efficient or not being used enough. And pruning for things like making complicated life decisions, things that require really complex thought, take a long, long time. And a lot of those systems aren't really fully mature until the mid-20s. So experiences that happen during adolescence can affect those systems forever. Adult brains still have some level of plasticity because we all need a little bit of plasticity so we can learn new things and remember them. It's just that it doesn't change the neural structure of the brain like developmental plasticity during the first two years of life or adolescence does. So you can think of developmental plasticity as learning how to read, whereas adult plasticity is just like reading a new book. And the developing brain is meant to be modified by experiences, whereas the adult brain is already solidified. So something like learning a new language or surfing, you know, that requires these gross body movements, that comes a lot more naturally to adolescents compared to adults where things are kind of already in place. Have to definitely work a lot harder. And, you know, I was actually thinking about this <laughs> before I read this chapter. I was like, why don't they teach all foreign languages during elementary school? Why do they make everybody wait until high school? I get what they're saying. It's like, oh, you should be really open to it in high school, but I don't know. I had to take Latin in elementary school. And okay. I thought it was a total, <laughs> a total, getting fancy in Fresno. <laughs> total waste of time. I didn't know what we were doing, but I feel so confident with figuring out what words mean. Prefixes and suffixes. Yeah. I'm just, I attribute it now to the fact that I did learn Latin in like second, third, fourth, and fifth grade, I think around there. Wow. So yeah, I do think it makes a big difference. And then, yeah, I took French in high school or uh, middle school, high school. Can't remember anything. Italian in college. And I can't remember anything from that oh my gosh. so it's like you know the latin is what stuck that's interesting and well i mean i guess it's hard to predict what languages you'll want to know like i picked french because i thought it was cooler than spanish me too although now as an adult i'm like well spanish is a lot more useful <laughs> i didn't know that we both made that mistake <laughs> <laughs> and then some people will be like well how do you say this in french i'm like i don't remember <laughs> i remember like how to say potato I feel like if I had if I had taken Spanish in middle school to high school, the four years that I took of French, I might have taken it again in college instead of taking it. Could have solidified it. Right. And then maybe when I worked in schools in Los Angeles, I could have been practicing because Bilingual. I did get really good at understanding in IEP meetings. I could understand a lot because right. you would hear the right. same things over and over. And I don't know. It's just such a bummer. If I could turn back time, I think that would be the one main I thing I would change about my life. <laughs> yeah, interesting. All right. When a brain is developing, it's affected by passive exposure and by active experience. So this means all experiences, good, bad, significant, insignificant, affect the brain development. And often we're not even aware that it's happening. It's just like we're little sponges soaking it all up. And different brain systems mature with different timing. So... These are called sensitive periods. 
development of something fundamental like seeing or hearing happens within the first couple of months of life, but something like logical reasoning or planning or self-regulation takes a lot longer to develop and has a really long period of plasticity. And a lot of these systems aren't fully mature until the mid-20s, so systems that have more complex development are easily influenced by small changes in the environment. But systems that are a lot more fundamental, like vision, require the same input and are less plastic. So they're likely to be developed regardless of the environment. And the systems of the brain in charge of more complex abilities are called experience-dependent because of how they're developed and how much they depend on a person's particular environment. So basically, you know, infants to learn how to see, all you need is something to look at, kind of at like varying distances. And 99.9% of every infant's, you know, environment has that. You would have to have those extreme neglect situations. Like I was thinking of what we all learned in college. Jeannie, was that her name? Mm-hmm. That girl who was yeah. like severely neglected in the room. Yeah. And she didn't have any input from speech or, you know, she could only see six feet in front of her. So her long range vision didn't really develop. But overall, I think also because of evolution, those are really consistently developed unless something seriously goes wrong. But things like self-regulation and planning, you can have more variation in your environment and that affects the degree kind of to which those are developed. Mm -hmm. The fact that the development of executive functioning skills and their systems are plastic for such a long period of time is both good and bad. So if you grow up in an environment that's positive, the odds are on your side But if you grow up in a less desirable situation, the plasticity of your brain and the way that it's impacted by your environment can be pretty disastrous. And it's pointless to ask when the brain is the most plastic. Like I think some people, I don't know, I kind of felt like he was having this like soapbox moment, like asking like, when is the brain the most plastic is a pointless question (laughs) because different areas are being affected at different extents at different times. The same experience can affect different parts of the brain at different points in development, just depending on which part is most plastic at that time. And I thought this study was actually interesting, even though it was like pretty sad. They did a study on the brains of child sexual abuse victims and found that the age that the abuse occurred affected different parts of the brain. So early childhood abuse affected the hippocampus, which is responsible for storing memories. But abuse that occurred during adolescence affected the prefrontal cortex, which is more important for executive functioning. So this is why it's important to provide the right stimulation during all periods of brain plasticity to kind of maximize those opportunities. And now we're going to get into like how the brain works kind of. So if you're listening and you're an SLP, you probably are pretty familiar with this. I think most people kind of are. Yeah science in high school, but it's good to have a refresher. So I'm just going to go over it. If Dr. Steinberg says it's important, then we're on board. We're here. (laughs) (laughs) So it's important to understand some basics about how the brain works in order to understand plasticity. So each neuron in the brain has three parts, a cell body, a longer part coming off of that called an axon, and the dendrites, which are the branch-like endings of the axon. And all of these neurons combine to form the gray matter in the brain. Electrical impulses travel along a neural circuit by going down a neuron through its axon and entering the next one's dendrites. However, neurons are not actually touching. There's a really small gap called a synapse 
between the tip of one neuron's axon and another one's dendrite. And the electrical charge needs to jump that small gap, which is done through certain chemicals called neurotransmitters. So ones that you might have heard of are like dopamine or serotonin. Small chemical reactions occur when the electrical current jumps from one neuron to another. And neurotransmitters are what make this possible. So these neurotransmitters have specific molecular structures that fit into the receptor that's designed for that specific neurotransmitter, like a key fitting into a lock. So if the brain's trying to release dopamine, it will only stimulate certain neurons that have the dopamine receptors. And this really just helps the brain to stay organized. White matter provides support and protection for neurons and makes up myelin which surrounds the axons of some neurons, not all. Myelin helps to insulate brain circuits and keep the electrical currents flowing along their pathway instead of leaking out. And circuits that are coated in myelin can carry impulses a lot faster than those that are not, which makes them much more efficient. Diseases like multiple sclerosis affect the myelination of the brain, which makes it harder to transmit those electrical impulses, which eventually makes it harder to control your muscles. And myelination increases all the way through the late 40s, and it stabilizes the circuits that have already been formed instead of creating new ones. So one reason the brain becomes less plastic when we become adults is that there's an increase and certain brain proteins that stop the formation of new synapses and kind of switches over to making more myelin, which in general makes it harder for the brain to change its connections between neurons. So think about that. (laughs) (laughs) I was taking the notes on that and I was like, wow, we're really getting into it. (laughs) Nitty gritty. The connections in your brain multiply and become stronger as you use certain circuits repeatedly. There was a study where they scanned the brains of London taxi drivers who are required to learn all of the streets of London before they get their license, and they found that their gray matter increased as they studied, showing that their neuron connections were growing. And when we practice something, anything like a physical movement or even an emotion, the circuit strengthens. And when we don't practice something, the connections die off, and this is called synaptic pruning. Myelination also increases as things are repeated and practiced, which makes the connections more durable. So try to think of this not just as a use it or lose it situation, but also a use it to improve it situation. And it's important to remember that in order to really stimulate brain change, we need to be in the zone of proximal development, which we've heard of before in other books. So again, this is where we're pushing ourselves just a little beyond our current abilities, but not too much. And scaffolding is a good way to support this in adolescence. And I know he said he's going to get into that in a later chapter. But metaplasticity is a new discovery that basically means that plasticity leads to more plasticity. So changes in one area of the brain lead to changes in nearby circuits as well. And his example was if you're learning all the capitals of European countries, that would make it easier to memorize other facts like all of the U.S. presidents or the times tables. Not exactly the same thing, but kind of related because you're sort of memorizing like rote facts. So learning more also keeps the period of plasticity open for a longer time. So if you're being exposed to novel experiences and ideas, then you'll be able to learn more for a longer amount of time. And MRIs have shown large differences in how children, adolescents, and adults use their brains for advanced thinking 
like making complex decisions, how we process rewards and punishments, and how we process information about interpersonal relationships. The adolescent brain specifically matures in areas that affect the experience of pleasure, the ways that we think and view other people, and the capacity for self-control. The main three brain systems that change during adolescence are thought of as the three R's, the reward system, the relationship system, and the regulatory system. We also know that the adolescent brain is really sensitive to stress, which I have to say, I was like, this is hilarious because isn't high school like one of the most stressful academic times of your life where I feel like kids are so stressed out trying to get good grades to get into college and like take the SATs, all of these AP classes and I feel like it's so stressful. I remember being really stressed out in high school. And then dealing with like the social aspects on top of it. There's this whole. Yes. You're so caught up in what's going on socially. Plus you're you're under all this pressure. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous what you go through in this time period. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And here's their brain like super sensitive to that. Yeah. And if we think about him you know, his time period for adolescence, which is the age of 10 to the age of like 25. Yeah. It's like, well, that's a really stressful time in your life. Yeah. Not only high school, but then also college and then also like navigating life after college. So that information led Dr. Steinberg to name this little section of the chapter a precarious time. So when it comes to age of onset for serious mental health problems, with the exception of ADHD, separation anxiety, learning disorders, and autism, the age range for the onset of every other major disorder is somewhere between the ages of 10 and 25. So these include mood disorders like depression and bipolar disorder, substance abuse disorders like drugs and alcohol, anxiety disorders like obsessive compulsive disorder and panic disorder, impulse control disorders like oppositional defiance, eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia, and schizophrenia. So experts on animals have shown that exposure to drugs like nicotine and alcohol in early adolescence can permanently impact the way the brain's reward system works because of the extreme plasticity at this time. So when these drugs are used repeatedly, it can make it more enjoyable to use them. But the flip side is that now it's also necessary to use them to have a normal amount of pleasure and that this is how addiction is formed. So it's most important to keep teenagers who are younger than 15 away from alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, obviously. Texts (laughs) have already been sent from me to people in my life about reading this chapter because he was talking at the first in the introduction about, you know, the fact that you know, kids at age 12 could be tried for a crime as an adult, but then they can't drink at 18. Right. And yeah, if it was explained in this way, like we actually have the law set at 21 because we know that this happens. I don't think that this information, if you are exposed to drugs and alcohol in your teenage years, this is what it does to your brain for the rest of your life. I don't think that it's quite getting across because it kind of when I read it the way he wrote it, I was like, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. And I do worry about the accessibility of even like marijuana now, Mm -hmm. especially where we live in California. I hear, you know, at the middle school where I'm working, I think vapes are just so common and a lot of kids are coming to school high. Mm -hmm. And these are middle schoolers. I don't know. I'm sure that there's some correlational stuff, which he also kind of mentioned, you know, if 
if you're doing this before the age of 15, there's probably a lot of other things happening in your life that would contribute to substance abuse or dependence disorders at some point in your life anyway. Interesting. But yeah, it's a little, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I had not really ever thought of it that way. Yeah. Studies have shown that the brain is more plastic during adolescence than during middle childhood. So the psychological change that happens during adolescence is more extreme when compared to middle childhood. And findings from studies regarding increased memories from adolescence and the diagnosis of psychological disorders show that adolescence is a more sensitive time period than middle childhood. Also, the adolescent brain is more affected by stress and arousal than the pre-adolescent brain. And then this leads to puberty, which is also a really big factor when it comes to brain development. The brain is impacted by sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen, which affects the anatomy of the brain and chemically alters the structure of its circuits. So sex hormones increase myelination, increase the development of new neurons, and contribute to synaptic pruning. So you have everything happening at once. And it also makes the brain more sensitive to every kind of environmental influence, whether it be good or bad. It also makes the brain more plastic and easily influenced in general. The reduction of plasticity as a person moves from adolescence into adulthood is most likely not related to changes in sex hormones because sex hormones don't start to decrease until the mid-30s. So the decrease in plasticity is most likely due partially to experience because motivation to seek out new and exciting experiences increases after puberty and then declines when we move towards adulthood. The increase in wanting to experience novelty comes at a time where the brain is ready to learn from new experiences, which are found by venturing out into the world. So it's likely that the learning that takes place when seeking new experiences is also what keeps the brain plastic during adolescence. And then when we leave adolescence and stop seeking out new experiences, our brain signals the end of this period of extensive plasticity. As a person leaves adolescence, the brain circuits become hardened and less malleable. Necessary knowledge and abilities have been collected both consciously and unconsciously, and now the focus is on the use and preservation of resources that we already have instead of acquiring new ones. So basically, once we have all the knowledge we need to survive on our own, it wouldn't make any sense for us to remain really plastic enough to be harmed by bad experiences. It's a good idea for people to stop being so upset about the delayed transition into adulthood and instead to view it as a positive opportunity for continued stimulation. So in this sense, people have a longer amount of time to experience both good and bad novel situations. And if a person is in an ideal situation, they'll be maximizing the positive rewards of this and minimizing the damage that can be done to their malleable brain, essentially. So that is basically it for this chapter. It's just like hitting you with a lot of information. <laughs> yeah. But to sum it up, you know, adolescence is a time where kids are just soaking up everything. So I feel like a big takeaway for me when I was reading this chapter was like, wow, you know, it both makes sense and is also really crazy that this is such a volatile time in people's lives where so much change occurs. It's like your brain is primed for that, but it's also like... Wow, you know, things can go so right and also so wrong in this period of time. And it's just, I have never spent so much time thinking about this. So my eyes are opened. <laughs> I know. I mean, you're a mom. 
I feel like if I were a mom, I would be taking in this information in a different way, just thinking about the future. Crazy. <laughs> but, you know, oh it was also reading it was a big time to reflect, yeah, on my own life, thinking about things. You know what came up for me, which is totally off topic. It's not really about speech. But remember when we talked talked about if I if we like scary movies and I yeah. was like, I don't know what happened to me. I used to like them. And then suddenly I saw like a few movies that just soaked into my brain where I could not get the images out of my head. And I can still now I'm looking at it like, oh, they were during this time. Oh, when did that happen? <laughs> high school. Mm. End of high school. I don't know. I can like picture being in the theater. Like I can picture exactly where I was and all this stuff he was talking mm. about, like how vivid your memories are from that time it is kind of unbelievable because I feel like we do have an attitude about teenagers like they're just like going through the motions sometimes not really paying attention to anything like kind of checked out right but to know that actually it's like everything is so clear yeah I don't know what we do with this yet I know I'm like okay this is a little doom and gloom Yeah. And I was also thinking about my own memories. And I'm like, wow, you know, I can recall vividly a lot from like middle school is a little foggy for me, but definitely high school, definitely college. But it's true. Like my my late 20s, you know, maybe the last 10 years, it's like, I don't know. Sometimes people are like, do you remember this? And I'm like, that happened? Not really. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it has to be kind of momentous sort of for me to remember it, you know? Yeah. And I think about I was also thinking about I went back to school in my late 20s to, you know, get my post back and my master's. And I was just like, you know, it does take so much work. And just thinking about the book club too, the studying and the taking tests and working on projects in order to like hammer the information in. Like when I learned anatomy of the speech mechanism, like all that stuff in your larynx and stuff, it took me like three courses before I even felt at all confident with it. Do you know what I mean? Like the first time oh around gosh. taking anatomy, yeah, I was terrible. It just could not, like my brain was not able to do it. So yeah, like you can just see the difference when you are older, it just takes so much more to learn. And then with book club, it's like, we are remembering this information because we're going that extra step. We're taking notes. We're talking about right. it. Like this information is sinking in. I bet if I read a lot of these books, I would like kind of forget a bunch of it. It still happens to me. <laughs> right after I have a pretty good. With my old. I know. It's hard. <laughs> I have a pretty good memory for certain things, but like sometimes big concepts I don't know it's like I get it in the moment and it's just kind of lost on me yeah well I look forward to Dr. Steinberg telling us <laughs> yeah like tell us what we can do oh, about how, this how is this gonna make sense here <laughs> well let's look at chapter three yeah well I was already seeing some things that he was talking about like when he compared learning things to building muscles in the gym and how you gradually increase in strength that is stuff Tara Sumter says I can see the influence his book has had on her because she says that same stuff and I don't know if this is where she kind of yeah picked some of that up but I think he's gonna give us a lot of tips on how we use this information we're just still in the background phase where we're learning about plasticity I don't know yeah well it was interesting regardless I'm gonna be looking at my middle schoolers on my caseload like hmm you little sponges <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again so much, you guys, for joining us as we talked about Chapter 2 of Age of Opportunity. Join us next week as we discuss Chapters 3 and 4. 
and continue our journey with this book. See you next time. Bye, Laura. Bye, Adrian. Thanks for listening to this episode of the SLP Book Club. If you love what we're doing, the best way to show your support is by leaving a five-star review and rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you want to join the discussion, head to our Instagram at SLP underscore book club. Each week, we're posting about the topics we discuss, and we'd love for you to weigh in. Want to listen to episodes early and ad-free, plus get one free resource from my TPT store each month? Go to patreon.com slash the SLP book club and join our Patreon for only $3.